But today's reading is from Matthew 7, verses 7 to 14, and can be found on page 971. Matthew 7, 7 to 14. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. Let me um, just pray for us uh, before we look at this um, passage together. Holy Father, we thank you uh, again for your grace um, to us that we've just been uh, singing about. We thank you that uh, by your grace you have made yourself known to us, you've spoken to us, um, and you speak to us um, today through your word. Um, so we pray for your help that we might listen to what you have to say. Uh, would you give us hearts that are open and ears uh, ready to hear? Uh, what you have to say. We pray for your help now, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder, how do you uh, respond when people put demands on you that seem way beyond uh, your capabilities? Uh, maybe um, at work, your boss uh, sets down some uh, new monthly targets, uh, or your teacher demands uh, really high grades or uh, a new deadline for your coursework. Or maybe you've got family members who set very high uh, expectations on how you ought to be. I wonder how uh, do you respond when people put demands on you uh, like that? Uh, imagine some of us will respond to that kind of thing. Uh, we will thrive on a challenge. We will that is exactly what we need. Uh, you're like someone uh, who's challenged by a friend to run a sub-20 minute 5k. That's three miles pretty quickly. Uh, and you've got to do it in six months' time. And someone tells you, I bet you can't do that. So what you, you completely dedicate. You throw yourself in uh, immediately. Uh, all your energy uh, goes towards it. You can do it. You, ah, I can do this. Uh, you set your training plan. You set your uh, diary out. Uh, you set your alarm. Uh, you plan well. Uh, you diet. You get the right shoes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, when someone sets you a challenge, you're a bit like that. You can do it. But maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're somebody who, who despairs. Uh, when somebody sets you high targets, you immediately, uh, well, you give up without even starting. I couldn't even make it up our road. 
I couldn't even make it up our stairs without being out of breath. I could never do, not, not me, I could never do that 5K. I bet a lot of us will, will probably flick between those two things. Um, you, you get the challenge and, and at first you, you're pretty enthusiastic about it. But as you kind of try, uh, you give up pretty quickly. Uh, perhaps you buy the running gear at the start of the year. Uh, and you do a few short runs, maybe just up the stairs, I don't know. Um, but, but you get some bruises and some blisters along the way. Uh, you're not going as fast as you thought you would be going. Uh, it starts to get a bit cold, dark, uh, pole darks on the TV. You start with enthusiasm, but you realise it's a bit harder than you thought. And so after a little while, you give up. If running's completely lost on you, I'm sorry, you might just not like running that that might not help you at all. But, but, but seriously, how do you respond when people put demands on that you, you that you really feel you can't reach? And what about when it comes uh, to God? Uh, how have you responded, I wonder, to these demands Jesus has been making on his disciples uh, in these last few chapters of Matthew? If you haven't been here, let me just uh, fill you in. Jesus has been talking to his disciples and making some radical demands on how they ought to live as part of his kingdom, with him as their king. He's called them, I wonder if you remember, called his disciples to a righteousness greater than the the religious elite of the time, greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. He's he's told them uh, back in chapter 5 they're to be perfect, like their heavenly father is perfect. The bar has been set pretty high. Uh, Don't even look at someone with lustful thoughts. Love your enemies. What about this one? Don't be anxious about anything. That's just three of the things Jesus has said. They're radical demands. We get a a summary in verse um, 12 of this passage. Have a look down. Uh, Jesus says says, uh, what we're to do is Uh, we're to do to others whatever we would wish them to do to us. That sort of sums up uh, much of what Jesus has said throughout the whole Bible, actually, what God's been saying to his people. Uh, John Stott, I think he helpfully says it like this. He says, if we truly did that, if we put ourselves sensitively into the place of other people and we wished for them what we wished for ourselves, we'd never be mean. We'd always be generous. We would never be harsh. We would always be understanding. We would never be cruel. We would always be kind. I don't know about you, but that seems like a high bar. And I wonder how you've responded to these radical demands of Jesus. Have you thrived? Or have you despaired? Or maybe you've started, but you've kind of given up a bit. Well, right at the end of this part of Jesus's sermon, he teaches us that the fundamental thing we need to make progress in living in Jesus's kingdom is none of those responses. All of those responses, I don't know if you noticed, they all depend on our own capabilities. We're looking at ourselves. And Jesus here says we need a childlike dependence on God in persistent prayer. We need a childlike dependence on God in persistent prayer. Have a look down at verse 7 with me, will you? 
Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I wonder if you've had um, that experience, I imagine you have, of losing your car keys when you need to get out of the house. You're dependent on your car keys because nobody can walk anywhere, can they? Uh, You desperately need them. And you've checked all of the obvious places, you've retraced your steps, all the things that people tell you to do that are really annoying because you can't find your keys. Uh, But you know you're really stuck and you need help. You, You can't find them on your own. So what happens? Well, you start to shout to your family, don't you? Has anyone seen my keys? Or in our house, uh, who's moved the keys? I won't tell you who says that. There's no answer, though. And so what do you do? Well, you head upstairs, don't you? And you start sticking your head uh, in every room trying to find uh, somebody. Where is everybody? I can't find my keys. I need my keys. I can't walk to work. And there's still no answer. As you come out onto the landing, though, you, you hear the shower running. And it's not long before the person in the shower who's rubbing probably more than is necessarily expensive shower stuff into their hair, hears you going, where are my keys? Banging on the bathroom door. When you're desperate uh, for things, even little things like your car keys, uh, you don't give up quickly, do you? You keep going, uh, asking, seeking, knocking if you need to. Now, for the record, that story is uh, in no way based on reality. Um, I just made it up. Uh, but Jesus, Jesus is talking about prayer with that kind of persistence. Asking, seeking, knocking, not stopping. Like the guy who's uh, lost, or girl, who's lost his keys uh, Or a little kid who keeps asking for something they can't reach on the worktop. Help, help, help. Uh, That is how a Christian is to pray. In constant uh, dependence. Persistent prayer. But this isn't just a a command. It's not Jesus beating us around the head uh, with a command. Uh, Did you see it was a promise? Verse 7 again. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Do you see the promise there? God promises to give good gifts to those who persistently depend on him. Now, I need to just issue a, a quick note of caution. This passage isn't saying that prayer is like a, a magic wand, a swish, and you get everything you ask for. We need to think about what these good gifts are. And and if we were to look, we won't do it now, but if you were to look across at Luke's Gospel, uh, where he records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we find out that these good gifts uh, God promises, well, this good gift is the Holy Spirit. Uh, You might like to look at Luke 11.13 if you wanted to check that out 
uh, later on. But Jesus links uh, these good gifts with the work of the Holy Spirit. And his main job is to bring us to faith in the Lord Jesus, to bring us into Jesus' kingdom. And it's also to work in us, to make us more and more like Jesus. That's what these good gifts are, are all about. So prayer's not a magic wand, if you like. We need to note that. But, but I want us to take seriously the promise that Jesus makes here. God will give good gifts to those who depend on him in prayer. He will, by, by his spirit, grow in us these characteristics of the kingdom that we've been thinking about, and you've been thinking about these last few weeks. And to help uh, convince us, because I imagine, like me, you're perhaps a bit sceptical and you go, really? Will he really do that? Well, we'll look at what Jesus says in verse uh, 9 to 10. I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Jesus basically says, look, even bad dads give good gifts to their kids. I mean, just think for a minute. When was the last time you saw a kid asking for their lunch uh, and their dad um, goes, over to, goes out into the garden and puts a pile of rocks uh, on the table. There you go, kid. A slate sandwich. Took into that. No, even bad dads uh, know how to do baked beans on toast, don't they? <laughs> or maybe just bread. They do know what to give their kids. And how, so how much more, Jesus says, will your heavenly Father who made you, who loved you, who saved you, who knows so much better than you do about what you need. How much more will he give you these good gifts? See, God is is the greatest uh, parent. He's not some stingy, uh, grumpy dad with a paper in his hand, distracted by um, his phone, with a sign on his door saying, don't disturb. He's a generous God. The almighty creator is generous, and he welcomes us. In fact, he commands us, doesn't he, to speak to him as Daddy, a father. So we needn't be scared or shy to ask him. I think we sometimes are. He's generous to give us good gifts when we ask. And also God's good because he doesn't spoil us. You know, when you're a kid, you really need something, don't you? But like a parent is wiser uh, than a child, God is infinitely wiser Uh, than we are, and he knows exactly uh, what we need. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous uh, Welsh uh, minister, he once prayed this, I thank God that he's not prepared to do anything that I may chance uh, to ask him. I'm profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked, and and that he shut certain doors in my face. He realised that if he just got what he asked for, it might not always be that good for him. God knows better. Now, I realise that can be hard, can't it, sometimes, to get our heads around. But Jesus says, if even bad dads know how to give good gifts, how much more does God know really what we need? And what we do really need is to be part of Jesus' kingdom and to live with him as our king more and more And so Jesus commands us with this promise to ask, seek, and knock, to pray persistently, knowing that God will help us by his spirit 
as we depend on him. Now that will mean a a number of different things for us. Uh, The first thing that it's got to mean is that we'll humble ourselves to be dependent on God. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world tells us that we are basically self-sufficient. We can do anything uh, if we try harder, can't we? We can progress uh, on our own with our intellect and our technology and whatever else it might be. Uh, We can better ourselves. Uh, We can better our world through all sorts of different ways. And to some degree, we, we can do some good. But But all of those things basically just look at ourselves. And we never progress as much as we'd like or as much as we think. We're we're let down. Jesus says, and how different is this? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You won't get anywhere in the Christian life without God's help. Now, that doesn't mean we sit back and pray and God does all the work. We're commanded to do things here. But we are only to ever do them in complete dependence on God. Uh, Augustine, who's one of the early church fathers, he said, and you might have heard this before, pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. Now, if you're like me, your tendency will be towards the latter, not the first. To work as though everything depended on you. Not to pray as well as though everything depended on you. On God. Apart from God, we can do uh, nothing. Second thing it means, I think it's believing God's promise. God promises good gifts to those who do persist in dependent prayer. Can I ask you, I wonder if you believe that. Do you expect that, that God will do that when you depend on Him? Do you think that prayer actually makes uh, a difference? Doesn't really matter if I, if I do today and Miss, miss praying. I wonder, might it be that our, our slow progress, often in the Christian faith, is, is because we don't believe this promise from God and we don't actually pray for his help? Charles Spurgeon, um, one of the other Oak Hill team, pointed out to me after hearing this in the first service that I've picked up a number of independent um, ministers, of which they're independent guys, not Church of England guys, so it's to try and include them into, into St. Mary's. But here's another independent um, guy. Here's what he said. Um, he said this about our prayer lives. If the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. We can't expect, expect blessing if we don't ask. I just wonder, could it be that our Christian lives are at a low spiritual ebb because our prayers uh, only flicker away very faintly. Just stop and think for a minute. Is your prayer life more like a a feeble, flickering uh, flame? Or is it like a roaring fire? See, it's one thing, isn't it, to say that we depend on God, but it's an entirely different thing to actually depend on him. I can say I believe that a chair's going to hold my weight. But it's only when I sit down on it I find out if I'm really trusting. As I've prepared for this this week, I've had to ask myself that quite uncomfortable question. How's my prayer life going? And it's been incredibly humbling to see how flickering and infrequent and feeble it often is. I've needed to ask God for his 
mercy and his forgiveness for, for often striving to live my Christian life, live up to this kingdom living, often, mostly, depending heavily on my own strength and energy and abilities. And it may be that you're the same. You need to humbly ask God for his forgiveness and to help you to pray more. It might seem a very simple thing, actually. One of the things that I've learnt whilst I've been at college is my need to pray. Very simple, isn't it? Why do you need to go to college to do that? But more and more, uh, realising that we need to pray. Uh, I meet with a few guys in a, in a prayer triplet. Uh, I know some of you um, probably do a similar thing. Uh, and one of the things we've been doing is, is praying that God would help us to pray. Because we struggle with it. Maybe and praying that kind of prayer might be a good place to start if you struggle with this. Uh, maybe just pray that or find a particular time in the day when you actually will stop and pray. Maybe before uh, you leave church this morning, you could, you could think of a time and commit to pray in that time each day just for one of those things that, that Jesus has been talking about in his sermon, about what it looks like to follow him and his kingdom. And here's something that would be completely, completely radical. Why not pray with the person sat next to you after the service and ask God to help you with this? wonder if you might do that. But, but please don't see this as just another thing to do. Uh, this is a wonderful promise. And just imagine what it might look like if we did start to depend on God like this more and more, and he began to give us these good gifts more and more as we did that. Imagine if we prayed for, for God's enabling help so that we were shaped more and more to be the kind of people he wants us to be. To love one another as we love ourselves. Just, just imagine with me for a second how, how loved and secure and cherished our wives and children would feel if husbands and fathers were never harsh and always understanding. Imagine uh, our conversations over, over coffee uh, or with families or friends where we were never mean about people, always generous, never cruel, always kind. Uh, imagine if people saw in us uh, a group of people that were never anxious uh, about tomorrow, who were calm uh, and joyful because we knew God was going to provide for all of our needs, whatever we were facing. Imagine what it would look like to, to a world watching in if our engine rooms, our prayer lives were fully in action and more and more God helped us to look like the kind of kingdom people he wanted us to be. Wouldn't that be a, a wonderful thing? I think it'd be great. But maybe you're here uh, this morning uh, and you're here because you're trying uh, out church Maybe you know a Christian, uh, maybe uh, you know the church and you've had a, a flyer and you've come along just to see. Uh, maybe you see how Christians live their lives and you see there's something different. It might, maybe it attracts you and you think that's quite a good way to, to live your life. I quite like the sound of what uh, Jesus is teaching here. But you'd still describe yourself as a bit of a spiritual spectator who sat on the side of the pitch uh, in the stands maybe, and you're admiring the play, if you like, but you don't really want to be involved yourself. Uh, you prefer your seat in the stand. 
Or perhaps you're here and, and you're not really that bothered. You kind of come because someone asked you and, well, I should probably go. But you're quite apathetic about Jesus and all this kingdom talk. You, you're sat in the stands and you've turned up, but you're more bothered about other stuff that's going on uh, around the stadium rather than the, what's going on on the pitch. Jesus isn't really your thing. Uh, and you're quite comfortable uh, with that. Well, as we read on, Jesus warns us that avoiding Jesus and being comfortable really is not wise. Sitting in the stands is not this kind of safe, uh, neutral ground that we might like it to be. Have a look at what Jesus says, verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus paints a picture for us, two gates that lead to two pathways with two different destinations. Just imagine them with me. One gate uh, is wide and broad. Uh, it's like a gate into a theme park. A get very wide, get as many people in there uh, as possible. Or think of a, a city centre high street, full of people. Uh, it's a popular place to walk. Uh, it's a well-trodden path. And it's a way of life that doesn't put constraints on you. You can go in and out whatever shop you want to go. Uh, it's the politically correct path. It looks much more appealing. And it's easy to walk. It's a path, though, where you're the king and Jesus is in the gutter. And it's full of people who, who are proud, whether it's loudly or quietly, but they, they refuse to admit that Jesus Christ is Lord and King over all and over them. The billboards uh, down the street say God probably doesn't exist, so stop worrying, get on with your life, enjoy it. It's a path full of confident people who, who don't admit that they fall short of God's standards or need the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers us through his death and resurrection. But look at where this path ends. It leads to destruction. It leads to God's uh, judgment. We can sit in the stands and we might feel uh, spiritually safe. It might feel comfortable. But it doesn't stop the judgment of God that is coming. But there's another path, isn't there? It begins with this small gate. It's not as impressive uh, as the other gate. It's just small. And not many people enter through this one. It leads to a narrow path. Uh, you know if you walk on a narrow path, you, you're confined, aren't you? You're more confined. You, you can't do cartwheels and whatever you want on it. It's more difficult. And it's probably not as popular as the high street. Certainly not as popular. It's more difficult and so it's more uncomfortable sometimes and whilst there are so many wonderful things about following the Lord Jesus it's hard this is the way of Jesus's kingdom the people who walk on this path well they were proud but they've humbled themselves and they've admitted that Jesus Christ is the king of their whole life they were confident in themselves but they've They've admitted that, like an arrow, they fall short of those standards that God has uh, set. But they depend on God. They depend on his kindness, his grace, 
to allow them into his kingdom, to forgive them, to have mercy on them, uh, to pardon them from their sins. And they depend on him as they live in his kingdom. These are people who've come to know the Lord Jesus, recognize he is the king who's died for their sins. And at the end of the road for them, did you see how that path ended? Life. Eternal life. Knowing God now and knowing him for eternity. Jesus Christ is this gate, this small gate into God's kingdom. And whether we depend on him and live with him as our king decides which of those pathways we are on. Notice Jesus says there are only two. You are on one of those um, pathways and you are heading towards one of those destinations. There aren't any stands to sit in. I wonder which of those pathways uh, are you on? If you're on that wide road, can I urge you to consider again where it leads? Ignoring Jesus is, is like driving down a motorway on the wrong side of the road towards an eternal cliff edge. It doesn't get much more dangerous than that. But Jesus invites you to come to him humbly. Jesus wasn't just talking to his disciples, you know, there was a crowd that was listening in. You see that in the next few verses. And he says, enter to all that were there. It's an invitation to come to Jesus humbly, to change uh, pathways, to trust him as the king who can bring you into his kingdom and who, in the end, will bring you eternal life. If that is you, can I urge you to humbly come to him? He died uh, to make that possible for you. Maybe you have come to know the Lord Jesus as Lord, though, and you're already on that narrow way, on the way to eternal life. Uh, and you battle along, and you know it's hard sometimes, isn't it? We like to progress in our Christian life more than we, we do. We strive to live up to the standards of Jesus' kingdom, but it's hard. But don't forget the way you started. You entered God's kingdom utterly dependent on him. Don't change how you live in his kingdom. As you try to follow his radical demands, don't depend on yourself. I can do it. Don't despair uh, of yourself either. In fact, just stop looking at yourself. Walk your Christian life uh, dependent on him. And don't do it because you feel you're being hit around the head. Look at this promise that Jesus has made. God gives good gifts to those who persist in prayer. Childlike dependence on him. It's only right that we pray, isn't it? Let's pray and together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you uh, kindly uh, welcome us into your kingdom through the Lord Jesus. Thank you for that uh, wonderful privilege. Thank you that you brought us uh, to a place of uh, dependence where we would trust in the Lord Jesus ourselves. And we pray, Father, that you'd forgive us for those times uh, where we do live our Christian lives not in dependence of you, where we trust in ourselves or we despair of ourselves.
spend too much time looking at ourselves rather than depending uh, on you. We pray for your help that you would, you would help us to be more and more dependent. Help us um, to pray. Help us uh, to trust you. And we pray for that you'd help us to, to believe that promise uh, that you do give good gifts uh, to those who persist in prayer, who are dependent on you. We pray, Father, as we, as we do that, more and more we would uh, rejoice as we make progress in the Christian life as we see you at work in our lives. And I pray too for those who uh, aren't on that path yet. Pray, Father, that you would uh, humble them to come to see the Lord Jesus for who he is, that they may enter his kingdom by putting their trust in him and walking the Christian life dependent on him so that they may not face destruction but may look forward to the life you freely offer us. We pray all these things. In the name of Jesus, amen.